Hello and welcome to Sake Revolution, America's first sake podcast. I'm your host, John Puma from thesakenotes.com, a website featuring sake tasting notes, photography, and videos. And I'm your host, Timothy Sullivan. I'm a sake educator and brand ambassador, as well as the founder of the Urban Sake website. And together, John and I will be tasting and chatting about all things sake. So, Tim, we are still socially distanced right now. Yes, we are. How have you been holding up? I am doing well, and the sake is keeping me going. But uh, but actually, you know what has been great? Zoom happy hours. That's that's actually been the key. Oh, yes. I've been doing them, too. And you know, that's even a thing in Japan. They call them on-nomi, which means online uh. nomikai or online drinking parties. On-nomi. Oh. Well, I've on Nomi many times, uh, I, I, but I do I actually love that there's already an accepted slang for that in Japanese. That's kind of funny. Although I guess like Zoom happy hour is like the de facto word here too, right? Absolutely. Sake always finds a way. If there's one thing <laughs> that is universal, it's that people enjoy getting together and drinking sake together. And we'll be doing some of that in a bit. Yes, but first, as always, a little detour. You know, we're going to our sake education corner first. Of course we are, but what are we learning today? Well, so the last episode was all about the Junmai sake classifications. That's those pure rice styles, Junmai, Junmai Ginjo, Junmai Daiginjo. So today we're taking a look at the same classifications, but mm -hmm. for added alcohol styles of sake. Oh, so for the outer 10. That's right. And uh, if you guys need to brush up on your Junmai classifications, you want to make sure you check out episode four of this show. And if you want to know what R10 is, you should probably check out episode three. Yes. So today is going to be really interesting because we're going to see um, the analogs for what you have in the Junmai world. We have the same thing for alcohol-added sakes. And uh, just a little bit of review. So we talked about what the, what the sake ingredients are. We have rice, water, yeast, and koji. Mm -hmm. And then that added ingredient for some sakes added distilled alcohol that makes this sake grades called the aruten style right alcohol added right i, I love how the junmai styles have the word junmai in them and the aruten styles don't that's right <laughs> as we said before aruten is not really a word that is used that much in day to day uh, but we do have three different grades of the alcohol-added styles, just like we do with the Junmai or the pure rice styles. Hmm. And right, so what are they called then, Tim? Well, uh, at the very beginning, for the Junmai styles, we had this grade called Junmai, right? That right. means pure rice, and there's a no milling requirement, and it's the entry level to the premium grades. So for the alcohol-added styles, you would think it would be the same, but it is not. We have... A milling requirement for the alcohol-added styles. To get into premium, the rice has to be milled to 70% or less remaining. And this style is called honjozo. Honjozo. That, seem, that hardly seems fair. I know. <laughs> well, you, you know what's really interesting, John, is that uh, up until a few years ago, Honjozo and Junmai had the same milling requirement. To sell a sake as a Junmai, it had to be milled to 70%. Mm. And that explains a lot. The same was true for Honjozo. So if you, if you read some old sake education books, maybe 10 years old or so, they're going to say Junmai requires a rice milling remaining of 70%. 
And I, I think that when I first started reading up on sake, that was the case. So I was very surprised and to be honest, a little confused when I learned that that was not the case. So I originally thought, oh, what I learned was wrong. But then I realized, oh, wait, no, what I learned was right at the time. And do you know why they changed the rules about Junmai? I do not. And I suspect you have an answer. <laughs> well, I hope you have an answer. <laughs> if, I don't. If you were a brewer and okay. you were going to all the trouble to make uh, pure rice sake, but you milled your rice to 75% remaining, you know, and not down to 70, if you didn't reach that threshold of 70, just a mm -hmm. little bit more robust, a little bit less refined, you could still have a really delicious sake. But according to the letter of the law, you had to sell that as a table sake, you know, box wine. Right, and right. That was not very pleasing for certain brewers who wanted to make a robust ricey style. They wanted to make a pure rice style, but they didn't want to mill all the way down to 70. So they ended up tweaking the regulations so that Junmai had no milling requirement. It's all about just what the ingredients are. Hmm. But And then and then people making Aruten, oh, making Honjozo, didn't have the same political clout or what? Why, well, <laughs> why well, didn't they get to do this too? Well, there's a grade below Honjozo mm -hmm. called Futsushu. And Futsushu is table sake. So mm. this is the less expensive, highly fortified style of sake. And if you don't mill down to 70, then you're into this futsushu category. And the Junmai styles didn't have that. So Junmai starts at any milling rate. It's all about the pure rice ingredients. And if you have added alcohol, you need to reach that threshold of 70% to reach the premium starting grade, which is, again, Honjozo. All right. So, so after Honjozo, which has that that starting grade of 70, what's next after that? Well, if we think back to the Junmai grades, we have a grade called Junmai Ginjo. That's a middle grade of premium, and that has a milling rate of 60% or less. Mm -hmm. And over on the alcohol-added side, it is very easy to remember. You just leave off the word Junmai, and you've just got Ginjo on its own. So Ginjo, 60% or less remaining, and that indicates an alcohol-added style. But, well, uh, hang on. Why is it this didn't like Honjozo Ginjo or, or something like that? <laughs> You'd think that would make sense. but this I mean, is, it makes sense. <laughs> this is basically viewed as like non-Junmai, which means alcohol mm. added. So you just leave off the word Junmai. So we have Honjozo, 70% or less remaining. Ginjo, 60% or less remaining. And drum roll, please, for the super Tim, premium. I, Tim, I think I know this one. <laughs> Let's hear it. Is it? Is this just Daiginjo? It is. A plus. <laughs> you passed. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So the pure rice style, again, for super premium is Junmai Daiginjo. Dai means big. So it's the big ginjo, super premium. And for the alcohol added styles, we have simply Daiginjo. So if you leave off the word Junmai and you say it's a Daiginjo, that implies it is an alcohol added super premium sake. Hmm. All right. And so we have we have our three levels. And if you're if you're interested in seeing a chart, if it's at all confusing for you, visit sakerevolution.com, episode five, and you will be able to see a classification chart that will outline all the grades and classifications. If you're a visual learner like I am, it's a real helpful thing to see. 
think I might have to do that after this uh, episode's over. Yeah, so, you know, those are the six classifications, three Junmai, three non-Junmai. Once you know those, you're really, really far along in able being able to appreciate, understand, and, you know, get a little bit deeper into sake culture. Hmm. Yeah, I, I remember when I was first learning these myself, I found it very, very confusing <laughs> trying to figure out, I'm like, well, wait a minute, so Ginjo... But then June Mai is Honjozo. It was all just very, uh, it was a bit much. But you know, once you once you once you process that, once you wrap your head around it and start thinking in that way, it all makes a, a ton of sense. Yep. And uh, you know, every sake you'll ever drink in your whole life is either pure rice style, one of those levels, or it's the alcohol added style. One of those has to be one of those two. And uh, you know, once you break it down to three levels for each side, it's pretty straightforward. Well, I guess four, four levels if you want to do the futsu. That's right, futsu. Yeah. Futsu in Japanese means regular or ordinary. So futsu mm -hmm. is regular or ordinary sake or non-premium table sake. Okay, that actually makes sense then. I see. And I will never mispronounce that again. <laughs> now that I know the breakdown of the words. Cool. Now that we've discussed those three grades, three levels of the alcohol added style, maybe just a, a little bit on what to expect from the flavors for each of these grades. So when you get into Honjozo, uh, most people think of that as a more robust, earthy style, uh, usually has a milling rate around 70% of the rice grain remaining. If you move up to Ginjo, that gets into a more aromatic category rice grains are milled to 60 to 55% remaining generally. And then when you move up to the super premium, the Daiginjo grades, 50% or less remaining, Daiginjos are really well known for being super silky in texture and really, really aromatic and elegant. These can be some of the most uh, uh, floral, perfumey sakes that you'll come across. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that on our, our 10 episode, we mentioned a little bit, or you had spoken about the idea that these sakes, because of that added alcohol, are getting uh, getting their mouthfeel really played with, and that's kind of like the been the big the big takeaway for me when I'm thinking about this kind of sake and when I'm drinking it, when I'm sipping it, I'm when I'm trying to process is that it's the mouthfeel is so much bigger, where the junmai mouthfeels tend to be lighter tends to be it's not going to coat your mouth as much in, in most cases that's not always true and I, I think that's true for everything in sake is you can't have there's no universal rule on how uh, flavor or a texture is going to behave but that's that was my kind of my takeaway from that yeah that's a great point and i always say that you know it's a sake is the 50 shades of gray because there's all these different categories and all these different styles and you can get a super perfumey Honjozo, you can get a dry Daiginjo. Uh, there's always an exception to the rule. But when you're talking about broad strokes and uh, general things, I think that uh, those are the assumptions we would make about the alcohol added styles. Fantastic. I think we've got a solid foundation for people to continue learning about sake now. Absolutely. And you know what that means? I think it's time to put this knowledge to good use. Yes. And drink some sake. Now, yes. I do understand that we both brought some different grades of our 10 with us today. Yes, we both have examples of the alcohol added style. 
And uh, we thought that would be appropriate for this episode since we were introducing these classifications today. So, John, why don't you tell us about the sake that you brought? Well, uh, I brought a sake from a brewery in Niigata, a region you're very familiar with. Love it. Uh, called um, Kubota. And the name of the sake is a Senju. So it is, again, from Niigata, from a brewery called a Asahi Brewery. And there are a few, but this is the one in Niigata. And the name of the brand is a Kubota Senju. And the name of the sake is a Senju. Um, this is their Ginjo. And the rice is milled down to 50%. And I believe as we spoke about on the June Mai episode, at 50, they could call this a Daiginjo. That's but, right. But they do, they have a Daigen Joe, and their Daigen Joe has a very elegant flavor profile. And this Ginjo is meant to be very food friendly. So, in order to kind of establish what this particular sake is meant to be used for, used for sounds wrong, but what this sake is for, they went with the Ginjo. That's interesting. You know, there's a little bit of consumer perception playing in there as well. Like if I'm a consumer and I pick up a Junmai Daiginjo or a Daiginjo off the shelf, you know, if I've never tasted it, my expectation might be this would be a little bit fruity, perfumey, super silky in the texture. And uh, if you don't get that, uh, sometimes there's a, a, a disappointment. So I think yeah. what they may be doing is, you know, letting people know that this might be a little more food friendly, even though the milling rate is really low could qualify for a higher grade uh they're they're positioning it in the right spot so i think that's really cool yeah uh and also for the record it's using uh very uh, popular nigata rice the uh, gohokiman goku gohyakuman goku i almost pronounced that right gohyaku gohyaku mangoku mangoku oh when you when you break it down like that it's a little easier <laughs> gohyaku mangoku okay that would be so go yaku that's a that's that's a that's a number that is like 500 5 million 5 million okay well they, they didn't teach us million in class <laughs> so yeah go yaku 500 man, man means units of 10,000 oh okay so 500 okay, okay. units of 10,000 5 million obviously <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm so good at math. It was right at the hey, tip of, yeah, tip of my I'm, I'm impressed. <clears throat> Gohyakuman Goku. Gohyakuman Goku. Absolutely. I'm learning to pronounce a lot of things this week, Tim. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so let's get this uh, Kubota poured. So on the, there's not a lot on the nose, which is very unusual for a Ginjo. Uh, it is, uh, the nose is ricey and uh, a you know, tiny bit of an ethanol-ish scent if you're really looking for it. And I am kind of sensitive to it. So I always notice that when it's there. Hmm. So when you say ethanol, you mean just the smell of alcohol, just a little yeah, bit of that. Just a tiny bit. Just a hint. Yeah. Not, yeah. It's, it's mixed in with the rice. And, and the flavor is also pretty ricey, not overwhelmingly so. I mean, it's there, but it's still the same way, is very kind of elegant. It's still very nice. Um, 
it's crisp, it's clean. It's mm. something that can go really, you know, I, I know this, okay, it happens to be positioned for food and I can totally see it. I've had this with dishes before. Um, and for a ginjo, this actually stands up really well to your more, more rich dishes. Mm-hmm. I have had this with uh, some shrimp with that had some, not, I don't want to say it was spicy, but it had some like light Thai spices in it. Mm-hmm. And this was wonderful with it. It, it paired lovely. That's great. And, you know, one thing you picked up on that I think is really key to uh, many sakes from Niigata is that restrained aroma. They mm-hmm. do. It's a regional style for Niigata. It's actually geographically close to Yamagata, which is a place you love. Of, uh, <laughs> With exactly the opposite taste. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. They go for really fruity, juicy mm-hmm. ar- aromas. But Niigata is all about the clean, crisp. I call it restrained elegance. You know, they... They have uh, uh, really a tight handle on the aroma. And the philosophy behind that is that, you know, if you have a really distinct fruity or outrageous aroma, it kind of limits what you can pair with a sake. But their philosophy is that if the aroma is more restrained, uh, that gives you a lot more leeway with how you can pair and implement the sake. Is Niigata's uh, kind of regional goal, is that to make more food-friendly sake, because I do find that their stuff tends to go that way. Yeah, I, every single sake brewer that I've met from Niigata says that. You know, <laughs> our sake is meant to pair with food, and it's like a, a foundational philosophy of that region, I would say. Right. For it's sure. so interesting, because you have Yamagata right there, as you mentioned. You have Akita right there also, mm-hmm. and but Akita is has more of that Yamagata style with with aroma and fruitiness and although there's a little more funky and we'll i think we'll go into regional stuff in a later episode yeah but it's just an interesting thing how that works out and then you have this this one region that is like no we're doing it our own way like in the middle of this uh, circle of, of of aromatics yeah and they and they're like no this is for food this is going to be light and crisp and you can eat this you can you can drink this with anything. Mm-hmm. And are you noticing that mouthfeel you spoke about before? A little bit of a coating texture versus what you might get with a Junmai style or a Junmai Ginjo? Yes. Uh, not as much, to be completely honest. I believe um, I believe a few weeks back I had a Honjozo that was extreme in its mouth coating mm-hmm. uh, and, I, and, and, and wonderfully elegant. That was from Yamagata. Uh, and that was very sippy and very, <laughs> very much in my wheelhouse. Uh, whereas this is very much like a, this is, this is going to go really well with food and can stand up to some dishes that a lot of sake couldn't. Tim, what do you have? All right. Well, I also brought an alcohol added sake. Um, you know, John, I have to admit I was inspired by you. Um, we're actually going to be tasting uh, sake from a brand that we've featured in a previous episode. Uh, this is from Shindo Brewery, and the brand name is Ura Gasan Ryu. And you tasted one of their sakes in a previous episode. Yes, that would that would be the aforementioned Hanjozo I was referring to. Yes, which and was was cold. wonderful. Yep, and that that sake you tasted before was called Coca. Right, and this is also Hanjozo from the same brewery. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's this one called? And this one's called Shoka. 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 And what's different about this sake from the one you tasted is that 
this has um, it's a namazume, which means it was only pasteurized once, mm-hmm. and it's also a maroka, which means that it was not charcoal filtered. The majority of sakes are charcoal filtered to make them extra clear, but okay. in this particular sake, they skip that charcoal filtering step, and the alcohol percentage is around fourteen and a half percent. The rice milling is sixty five percent, and the sake rice here is miyamanishiki. Miyamanishiki. Nice. I believe the coca was using, uh, I believe it was Dewa Sansan. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So I'm really curious to taste this. Um, when you had the Uragasan Ryu on before, I was really intrigued. So I wanted to order the same brewery, but a different, a different uh, uh, label. So I'm going to go ahead and pour this one. Please do. I'm excited to find out what you think. All right. So we're going to see how this smells. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. So this has a fair amount of fruitiness on the nose. Mm. And this is also, of course, it's a Honjozo style. So the added alcohol that is put in there can bring those esters to the surface and it can boost aromas as well. Uh, the Niigata style, as we just mentioned, is a little bit more restrained with aromatics, but the alcohol added style can uh, boost aromas when it's brewed that way. And this has a lovely fruity aroma. I'm getting like uh, grape skins. If you've ever had, you know, red grapes that have those thicker skins and you peel the grape and you smell those skins, that's a little bit what this smells like. Really, really lovely. And it's, it's, it's light. It's not, it's not outrageously perfumey. It's, it's a little bit more restrained, but it's clear fruity on the aroma. And I'll give it a taste. Hmm. Really clean, uh-huh. very smooth, and it has a little bit of a dry finish. You know, when some sakes have that fruity aroma, you expect them to be juicy and have a sweet finish, but this finish is relatively dry and clean. Um, it's interesting. So we have two Honjozos from the same uh, from the same brewery, and kind of really distinct profiles on each one because the one I had was not very restrained. Uh, and, and was a lot more, uh, a lot more fruity. And yeah. yours seems to be much more food friendly. Mm, definitely. And you know, I think when a brewery makes the decision to release two honjozos or two sakes of the same classification, there has to be some pretty distinct differences between them to make it worthwhile to release two of the same grade of sake. That's that seems like what the uh, Uragasan Ryu is doing here. Uh, this one right. is. Um, light, I would almost say the the mid palate is like really refreshing and then it mm-hmm. finishes clean. So it, it's uh, really delightful actually. Really, really nice. Fantastic. That sounds really nice. I might mm. need to be inspired by you and <laughs> pick up a bottle of that at some point and see, um, see what I think of it. Maybe get the two, the Coca and the Soka. Compare them. Yeah, it's... Um, that's one thing I've loved over time. When I meet people who are into sake, they try something, they recommend it to you. Maybe you can't find that specific bottle, but another bottle from the same brewery, you try that. That's half the fun of sake. It's like <laughs> learning about things and trying different bottles. And some things you'll love, some things you won't. But over the years I've been tasting sake, that's something I've really, really been you know, really happy about and getting recommendations from friends and learning about new things. 
that's one of the things I really enjoy doing when I'm when I'm overseas. When I visit Japan, I want to find uh, sakes from breweries that I know that I've had stuff from them in America, and get the stuff I can't get here. Get the I want to see what else they're making and how it compares and what you know what profiles they're going for. What what happens when they play around in a way that they don't have to worry about exporting? That's always a lot of fun for me. Yeah, that's a lot of fun too. When when I was first learning about sake, I had this glass is half empty idea like all the good sakes are left in Japan and there's so much <laughs> so much we can't get here but i've i've really turned around my thinking on that because there's so many good sakes that are exported uh hundreds and hundreds of brands and styles and there's so much to explore here when i go to Japan it's even more delightful to explore the things that we can't get here but I've really come to realize there's there's a lot of good stuff here. So there's no need to think that the glass is half empty when it comes to sake selection in the States. There's a lot we can get. I think that maybe at one point it was the, that was the case. But nowadays, there's so much of a selection here. Uh, we get popular sake is much more quickly than we ever did before. And it's it's nice. And it's it's. It's the best time to not be able to travel for sake. John, we're living in a sake golden age. We are. We are. <laughs> that is absolutely true. Uh, so. All right. Well, I think that was a lot of fun. Thanks for tasting, John. And uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. If you can, please take a moment and rate our show on Apple Podcasts. And you will not want to miss next week's episode, Tim. We have a little bit of a milestone. Our first guest, the first time we're ever going to have a guest on the show. And I'm very, very excited to uh, have this person on. All we'll say is that this person is a real sake VIP. So you don't want to miss next week's episode. Yeah. So, dude, make sure that you subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcast so you won't miss it either. And as always, to learn more about any of the topics or sakes we talked about in today's episode, be sure to visit our website, sakerevolution.com, and there you'll see our detailed show notes. And send us your feedback and show ideas anytime at feedback at sakerevolution.com. So until next time, remember to keep drinking and... Kampai! Kampai.